Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Well, as we come to God's word this morning, um, allow me to pray and ask for his help. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit to be with us now as we open up your word. Help us to understand it and to apply it to our lives, to be willing to obey where you call us to. We ask that we might behold Jesus' glory even more this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, in our first year of marriage, Catherine and I lived in London. Um, I was a ministry apprentice at a local parish church there, and she was a student finishing up her legal studies uh, so that she could become a solicitor. And in that first year or two, really, money was really tight for us. Now, we could barely afford a little studio flat in a less than glamorous part of London, and um, we rarely had anyone over uh, to visit us because we were kind of embarrassed, and um, so we would much rather meet people elsewhere. Uh, and that year, uh, Catherine's parents came to visit us, and they put on a brave face, but they were clearly a bit concerned, wondering maybe what did we allow our daughter to marry into? Is she going to, to live in a hovel for the rest of her life? And uh, reasonable <laughs> questions for a ministry apprentice. But um, it was only when we went home that Christmas to her parents' house to uh, celebrate Christmas with them that we really got a sense of how they were feeling. You know, one morning we were sitting uh, together having a coffee and uh, I was talking about the work that I was doing and, and we were explaining that we thought this is the most important sort of work that I could possibly be doing. Uh, we were explaining how excited we were about it. And naturally enough, the conversation came around to uh, Christ himself, why he was an exciting person to be telling other people about. And I can't remember exactly how I explained it, but, and it probably wasn't in the best sort of um, uh, pitch to them, but I, I started to explain why they themselves should be considering Christ. And I think I said something along the lines of, if Christ really was who he said he was, if he really rose from the dead, then whether we accept him or reject him is a matter of eternal importance. And I'll never forget, as um, I explained that, uh, Catherine's uh, mother put her coffee down, and with a mixture of anger and, 
and disappointment, she kind of, she blurted out, I guess I just don't understand. We were never religious. We didn't raise you like this. The mixture of that anger and disappointment in her voice was really striking. Uh, there was a real division there. And over the years, we, uh, we have come to understand each other better, but, and in comparison to what some people experience, uh, that's a trivial example. But our reading this morning uh, shows us that Jesus sends his followers out proclaiming the gospel and tells them, expect real division. They should expect nothing less than real division. In verse 34, he says this, Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, earlier in the chapter, Jesus sends his disciples out with uh, a message. They're to declare the same message that he declared, that God's kingdom has come near, and that people are to repent and believe in response. And so he sends them with the message. He sends them out with the same method that he used as well. He, Jesus went around healing the sick and raising the dead and, and casting out demons and um, without any resources, really, uh, to his name. And he sends the disciples out on the same sort of mission, uh, to, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, uh, to cast out demons. Uh, they're not to take a cloak, an extra cloak for their kit. They're, they're not to take a staff. Uh, they're to go out with the clothes on their back and the message in their mouths and the power of the Spirit at work. And with a brief like that, you would think they would come into each town and be treated like maybe first century rock stars. The, the people would gather around them. They would do a few miracles. People would lift them onto their shoulders and parade them through the streets. And if you thought that, you'd be wrong. Because Jesus says, if you follow me, expect opposition and division, even in your own household. And you know, more than an unfortunate byproduct, Jesus says this is what he came to do. Not to bring peace, but a sword. And that's not for a moment, let's just get this clear, that's not for a moment suggesting that Christians should carry out violence, not at all. Now, Jesus made it clear enough elsewhere in his um speeches and elsewhere in scripture that violence is not something Christians should perpetrate. And he even made it clear in this uh, lecture that he's giving them, this commissioning that he's giving them in chapter 10, uh, when he said, you're to go out and be as wise as serpents, but as innocent, as gentle as doves. Now, violence is not something that Christians perpetrate as we go out on mission. And when we've done that in history, it's been against what Christ has said. But Jesus is saying, uh, when you go out, expect real conflict. Expect real conflict. Because although Jesus does give us peace with God and peace with one another, he doesn't accomplish it by avoiding conflict. Despite being the Prince of Peace, 
his public ministry involved a great deal of conflict and controversy. And we know his life ended in a way that was hardly peaceful. And he wants his followers to know that we will face exactly the same uh, sorts of issues that he did, the same sorts of treatment. Uh, why? That's the big question. Uh, why does the gospel, something that's supposed to be good news, create such division and, and opposition as it goes out and is proclaimed? Well, I just want to look at uh, three things from this morning's passage, and the first is this. The gospel reorders relationships. Now, everyone knows that blood is thicker than water and that family comes first, but Jesus says, not so in my kingdom. Verse 35, for I've come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And if Jesus is Lord of all, then our allegiance to him must take precedent over every other relationship. You know, we cannot both be trying to live to please Jesus all the time and also living to please our parents or our children or whoever else in our uh, lives all the time. You know, they can't both be the highest level priority. Either one takes precedence or the other. Now, you can't give all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength to serving Jesus and devote every waking hour to your children. I wonder what an impartial outside observer of my life or of your life would conclude is the top relational priority in our lives. Now, based on the time you pour into them, based on the emotional energy you give to them, what would an impartial outside observer think? Is your top priority relationally. Where do you get your sense of well-being? Your spouse? Your children? Uh, maybe your clients or your boss? And Jesus says he should be the first uh, relational priority in our lives. Otherwise, we aren't worthy of him. You know that we can't love our families and our friends, but they should take a distant second in comparison to the love we have for Jesus. And knowing Jesus as Lord, it relativizes all those other uh, family relationships that we have. The all-powerful God of the universe came in the flesh, uh, to, to show himself to you, to have a relationship with you. And he is not and will not be satisfied with the leftovers of our lives.
Uh, he isn't flattered when we worship him on Sundays when Johnny doesn't have a rugby game and uh, when Susie doesn't have a dance recital and when, when Daddy's feeling uh, not too tired. He's not flattered when we give him that kind of uh, priority in our lives. He demands to be first. And when family members see us loving Jesus more than we're loving them, even if we are loving them, even if we are serving them, when they see our allegiance to Jesus is a higher place in our lives than our allegiance to them, uh, they may feel betrayed. You know, children might not understand if you say to them, uh, actually, no, football doesn't take priority over worshiping the God of the universe. Now, they might resent you for it. You know, and your parents might not understand why your life doesn't go down the track that they have raised you to go down. Uh, the career that they wanted you to go on, or uh, the way of living your life, or using your money, or, or the sorts of uh, partners that you're looking for, uh, they might not understand why you would reject those values in, um, in trying to pursue the values that Jesus gives us. They might hate your new convictions. And furthermore, when a government maybe thinking beyond the, the kind of family unit and thinking to a national unit, when, when the government sees that your allegiance to Jesus is a higher allegiance than to your nation, they might even call it treason and punish us. But you know, when Jesus sees us honoring him over every other relationship, every other bond with uh, the people around us, when he sees us honoring him in that way, he calls it a worthy way of life. He calls us worthy. So the gospel reorders our relationships. That was the first point to see from these verses. But, but the second point is that the gospel reorders our priorities. You know, while everyone else in our society insists that the, the path to flourishing is through self-esteem and, and through uh, self-regard and self-improvement and self-actualization, Jesus says, deny yourself. Do you see in verses 38 and 39? Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Beyond merely demanding to be given priority over uh, every other relationship in our lives, Jesus um, demands to take priority even over our very lives. Do you see? Not just every relationship, but priority over our life itself. You know, take up your cross and follow me, he says. Follow me to your death. Otherwise, you aren't worthy of me. Do you see how radical what Jesus is saying is? He's saying that 
you and I were made for something more. Something more than merely self-preservation. Something more than the kind of day-to-day, -day, uh, mundane life that we usually uh, recognize. We were made for something more than ourselves. If you have a mental map in your mind of your life, and, and you're at the center of it, and, and your career is out here somewhere, and, and uh, other people are out there in a constellation around you at the center, well then your map is useless because it doesn't chart reality, according to Jesus. According to Jesus, you can't follow that kind of map and get anywhere. The truth is, your life is not primarily about you. And my life is not primarily about me. We are not the central characters in our own life stories. Jesus is. He is at the center of the map, and, and everything else, including us and, and our lives, are in a constellation around him. And he says, unless you are willing to give him that central place in your life, to lose the, the starring role in your life, as it were, well, then you're not worthy of him. I'm not worthy of him. And more than that, we will never experience what life is all about. We will never know what we were made for. Life as you were made to live it is life with Jesus at the center. Now, if Jesus is Lord of all, then how could we go on pretending that he isn't? How could we go on pretending that we are the center of the world it, or, or even the center of our own stories? If Jesus is Lord of all, and it's only as we lose our lives, for his sake, mind, not just in a kind of, um, I don't know, suicidal impulse, not, not losing our life for any given reason in any given way, but losing our life for his sake, making him the center. It's only as we do that that we will find real, flourishing, eternal life. How? Well, it's because when we lose our lives, we are joined to Christ in his death. Now, we die to ourselves, we, we die with Christ. And so uh, we take on the pattern of his life. We, we die with him, and so we'll be raised with him. The same power that raised him from the dead will raise us also. And if that's true, then to continue living for ourselves, it's not just misguided. It is misguided, but it's not just misguided. It's actually self-destructive. Because if ourselves were made to uh, die to me as the central character and to put Jesus as the central character, then to do anything else, is self-destructive. The more we 
grab at life apart from Jesus and seek to find fulfillment and flourishing elsewhere, the, the longer we go on, walking towards death, the more surely life will end up tasting like ashes in our mouth. Which goes some way to explaining why the gospel is divisive, doesn't it? It's not a kind of take-it-or-leave-it or sort of proposition. If Jesus is Lord, we can't go on pretending that he isn't. It isn't simply a matter which we can agree to disagree on. To reject him is to reject life. So we cannot affirm those who deny him or to live or those who live in rebellion against him. And all of that can sound really quite narrow, quite judgmental to a world which is used to seeking life in any given sphere. Well, you choose where uh, your meaning is going to be found. You choose your purpose in life. And that's the, the way that most of the world thinks about things. But if Jesus is the center of the story, they will never find life in their own meaning. They will never find a purpose uh, that fulfills what they were made for. Since Jesus is the author of life, who came back to life to give us life, we have to listen to him. So the gospel reorders relationships, the gospel reorders our priorities, and those things make it div divisive, divisive. But the third uh, thing to get from these uh, verses at the end of Matthew 10 is that the gospel secures our reward. It secures our reward. As Jesus is bringing this commissioning of the 12 disciples to an end, as they uh, are being sent off to preach around Galilee, they'll come back, they'll be sent off again in slightly different ways later on in Matthew's gospel, and then finally to the whole world at the end of Matthew's gospel. But as he's sending them on this mission, he reminds them of one more essential thing that they need to know, and that's uh, in verses uh, 40 to the end. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And we saw earlier that in Matthew 10 that the disciples were sent out with the same message and the same method as Jesus. And here we see, finally, uh, perhaps most surprisingly, that as they go out preaching the message with the method of Jesus, they wield the same authority that Jesus had. They wield the same authority as God in the flesh as they go out with the gospel in their mouths. Jesus won't be going out with them, uh, but there won't be any uh, dilution of the power of this mission. The disciples, in fact, all who go out preaching the gospel faithfully, 
go out with the authority of Jesus Christ himself, the one who sent them. So those who welcome the disciples and, and therefore the gospel that they're proclaiming, I think that's implied here. Uh, those who welcome the disciples and the gospel they're proclaiming welcome Jesus and his Father, says Jesus. It's as though uh, they welcome Jesus in and receive him and receive relationship with the Father. The corollary, though, is that those who reject the disciples and reject the message that they preach reject Jesus and his heavenly Father. And when they go out on mission with the gospel on their lips, they go out with Jesus's authority and eternal rewards and eternal punishments uh, will be doled out depending on how they are received. And I just want you to see why that is important as we think about going out on mission as a church uh, and taking this gospel message uh, elsewhere. It's important because it doesn't allow a separation between Jesus and his followers, between Jesus's message and the message we proclaim. Now, you sometimes hear people say, oh yeah, I, I love Jesus, but I can't stand church. I, I have a, a faith in Jesus, but I don't really like being with other Christians. And I think this passage should shout to them and to all of us, beware, because you can't accept the message that Jesus uh, proclaimed and sent his followers out proclaiming and reject the people that bring it out, the people that proclaim it. You can't both welcome Christ, in other words, and reject his people. They go together. His people go with his authority, and we reject his people at our peril. But the opposite is true, too. If you do receive the gospel, if you do receive uh, the people that proclaim it, however weakly, however falteringly, uh, however uh, small your faith might be, you will certainly not lose your reward. Now, that's what Jesus says in verse 42. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Uh, to even give a cup of water to somebody who proclaims the gospel because they proclaim the gospel uh, will mean we will not fail to receive our reward. If you struggle to love Jesus more than family and friends, if you uh, struggle to make Jesus the center of your life, uh, even more than yourself. Well, friends, you are not alone. Uh, 
as the disciples say elsewhere, these are hard sayings. And who can, who can accept them? And these are hard sayings. And by that standard, none of us are going to be worthy of him. None of us can be worthy of him. But Jesus recognizes even the most modest faith, even the weakest faith. When we accept his gospel message and, and we're shaky, we, we aren't as committed as we know we ought to be, but if we accept his gospel message, we will not fail to receive our reward. And we are made worthy by him. We are made holy by him. We are made sons and daughters of our heavenly father by him. And we will dwell with him forever. So the gospel is divisive because it, it reorders our relationship. The gospel is divisive because it reorders our priorities. But the gospel secures our reward. And those who receive it will not fail uh, to receive their reward. Allow me to pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we, we cannot fail to receive our reward we show faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his gospel message proclaimed by his people. Please help us to uh, carry this message out, knowing that we will face opposition, knowing that we will face um, div divisive people and attitudes, expecting that, and yet uh, believing that you go with us and expecting that you will call some people in, that we will be uh, united by that gospel as people receive it and seek to live by it. So please, would you help us? Help us to love the Lord Jesus more than uh, anyone else, anything else, even ourselves this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.